listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. As always, I'm Thomas Irwin. I'm the uh, MIDI maestro behind Niagara Moon. Yeah, maybe something there. Uh, this is my podcast where we talk albums of note, and we kind of come at it from the perspective of being songmakers ourselves, writers, performers, producers. This week I'm talking once again with the esteemed Jordan Prince. He came on a few months back to talk about Mac DeMarco. This time we're digging into Sufjan Stevens and his masterpiece of an album, Illinois. As I like to say, if you know, you know. This is an extremely uh, affecting album. Very powerful, very, uh, as I say, devastating. I didn't really know him at all besides the Chicago song before this episode, and I'm really glad Jordan chose this album for us to dig into. I think you're really going to like our chat. I think you'd really like Jordan's music. He's got a big new album coming out June 18th called Simple Swimmer. And uh, enjoy us gushing over the artistry of this elusive uh, mystic figure, Sufjan. And uh, we just get into it. Let's go. So hey, <laughs> hey yourself. How you doing, Mr. Jordan Prince? Man, it's really cool to be back on this podcast. I really enjoyed the last one that we did. That you know, I thought about that podcast a lot because a friend of mine wrote me. I want to say about two weeks ago, out of the blue, and he said, "Hey, I checked out your um, Niagara Moon episode about Mac DeMarco because he just mm-hmm. kind of went through a phase of you know diving back into like this old dog." Yeah, and. And just got kind of inspired to, to to listen to it because we talked about it in so much detail, and uh, and then it reminded me like, oh man, that yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then just coincidentally, like that was around the time you asked me to come back on for Su- yeah. You know, we talked about Sufjan, and this was just I was like, I have to do this, man. Mm. I have to. <laughs> this is. I mean, we'll get certainly get to it in a second. It is a gigantic, gigantic, huge artistic statement, but. Uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad you got uh, peeps checking out our talk on salad days, and uh, it was quite a blast having you on the first time. I'm so happy you uh, you opted to come back. And oh man, my pleasure. Thank you for picking this album. Also, uh, oh yeah, why is this that? This was uh, you. I know you mentioned Sufian. I of course knew of him. He's a very unique figure in the indie scene, especially mm-hmm. in the United States, and. Uh, I knew the song Chicago. I love that song, but I sure. had no idea that I would love so much else of what he's done. I, I I had him pegged as like a too many ideas going on at once and it would overwhelm me kind of thing. Sure, he's, sure. He's very ambitious songmaker, but uh, yeah, thank you for for pulling me into this album this week because this uh, it's like a gut punch. Some of these songs. Oh man, you know this. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we're talking about, you know, come on, feel the Illinois, and this is just such an unbelievable album. I guess I guess it makes sense to say that, you know, he had released, I believe, the EP before, like, so he did Michigan. Mm-hmm. This album, you're more familiar with that one, right? 
I don't know. I know Chicago, and back in the day, I tried Age of Ads. I'd be curious in revisiting that one. I had mixed feelings on it, but I, yeah, I know very little of Mr. Uh, Sufian here. The My deep dive in Illinois was like the first time I really gave him my full attention. Then, then I would say if you really like, um, if you really enjoyed um, the the surprise and the intimacy and stuff of of Illinois, then I think it's worth to go back to uh, Greetings from Michigan and spend some time on that because yeah, there's the, the first entry in the his project to cover all of the fifty states with an album. Right, I remember when that was announced, and I thought, well, that's you know, quite the ambitious, uh, <laughs> dream there to make an <laughs> album about every, cause if you, you know, if you, if you do listen to Michigan and you do listen to Illinois, the amount of detail, not only just instrumentally, but even in the storytelling and the lyrics and the background and the effort. And, you know, it's like, how could you ever imagine doing 48 more albums that are closely <laughs> even like resembling Illinois, you know? So, of That's course, crazy. he later came to admit it was a joke and kind of right. a publicity stunt. But he did two, which is two <laughs> more than two. I think any other artist would be capable of. And goddamn, if it doesn't sound completely sincere, thoroughly researched, like, you know, so many other artists could take this concept and make it something really inconsequential and goofy. But this feel, this whole right. thing is so from the heart. Oh, man. You know, I think... Today, like I told you off air before, today was the first day that I really sat down with, you know, just like a Wikipedia page about the album and realized all of these subtle sort of hidden little anecdotal things that he had dropped in and out of all these songs that I've idolized for 15 years had actually been so deeply, thoroughly researched into like he he read literature from the state he he went to the state visited at, you know asked on this chat group of friends who lived there about anecdotal stories uh, went to museums there and just made this really almost this really crazy semi physical adventure through the history of the state and it has so much fantastical elements sprinkled in that it still somehow feels like your story which is a really magical thing. And so much of it is still feels super personal as well. Yeah. Like he's really just trying to explore his own identity and things that happen to him in his personal yeah. life. I mean, he's Christian. He's a Christian gentleman singing about uh, his relationship with God here and there. Which has which, been, which has been a, a, a pretty um, prominent theme throughout a lot of his work. And I'm actually not even sure anymore if he's still... Um, identifies as a Christian because I know that from around the time Age of Ads or Age of Odds, whatever, from there to Carrie and Lowell, which was like his most recent success, I think that was 2015. Yeah. Um, between He's that had gap two albums there, come out since then, though. He's since Carrie and Lowell? Yep. Yeah, he just he just dropped, like, what, last week? He just dropped these these four instrumental albums at once. Gigantic, Yeah. <laughs> which is just insane. Well, if anybody has time, you know, still being stuck at home during COVID, that, that's as good a time as any way to, to dig into convocations. <laughs> the uh, the 49 um, instrumental tracks released in five volumes. Yeah, that's just... That's unbelievable. He never man. just does something casual. No, never. That's the thing I really admire about him is that every single project that he's put his blood and sweat into, whether or not I liked it as much 
as something he did before, it's still like, wow, you know, that's a lot of effort. And it doesn't sound like effort in a way that's ever forced or like as a stunt or anything. It's just, it's pure artistic expression and him trying to solve the puzzle that is his soul in, in this grandiose music. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like, you know, I, I, we're both artists. We both make music and we've made albums and I'm listening to this, trying to imagine what it would have been like to not only just write this music, which Mm -hmm. like you said, the research involved to tell all these carefully crafted stories and the amount of detail and deep pulls and references. So just the right, forget the writing, all the, the arrangement blew my mind the most. I think. Oh my God! All man. the different instruments this guy plays, and he's he's engineering it himself. Hello, <laughs> yeah. producing, mixing all himself. That's uh, so half crazy. the time in apartments. This mm-hmm. is as good at an advertisement for professional home recording as any. Like, yeah. What do you? What do you? Who do you need anybody but yourself for? If you can, with a few sure SM57 microphones, put something together like this. Like, dude, like I. That was that really surprised me when I like I told you I looked at some research today research today and I didn't realize how <laughs> completely affordable he made this masterpiece with these like you know ch- you know I want to say like with quotations like cheaper microphones but then like you know these eight track tapes and yeah recording at his apartment and playing almost everything himself engineering it himself on pro was it a pro tools or something he laid yeah. it down or you He's, know like he splurged whatever. on a laptop i guess yeah <laughs> that for me is really crazy like i you know for for years and years and years i always pictured what it must have looked like recording this and if you've ever um for those who have never seen him live before there is this absolutely breathtaking Austin City Limits performance on YouTube of this yes. album. Yeah. Oh my God, man! And it was—it must have been 06 because they the butterfly wings into came the, out. That's it. That's where that's he started. It. That. That's a great look for him. Oh, it's really nice. I really, I, I dreamt of having a shirt like that for a while after after I saw that performance. And you know, I imagine that the studio recording was kind of similar to this. Like you imagine old Beach Boys recordings where you have like a choir and you have an orchestra and you have yeah. all these you know, like a thousand microphones and some big, you know, two or three producers in the, in the, in the, in the back room, you know? Yeah. In a swanky Hollywood studio. Totally. Totally. I had no idea what it really ended up being in it. And it almost embarrasses me as like looking at what I've accomplished, thinking that this guy between like two or three or more little small studios in Brooklyn, his own apartment and letting, and people like collaborators, probably some of the backing vocalists, singing from their own apartments and sending files to him to mix everything himself and be like, here you go. It's the most dominating, you know, most p- publications said it was the album of the decade. You know, that's crazy. Not undeserved, I would say, really. I mean, Not it always, undeserved. It's always going to depend on your taste, but, you know, if there are certain artists or albums that I might personally enjoy more that I would not say is the work of genius. And I don't know how many albums I've talked about on this podcast, probably few, but like, this is one where it's, this is a work of genius. This guy didn't just like make this music. Like he to do something like this and it'd be so self-reliant 
and driven like this. Like he lived this. No wonder he only makes albums like every five years usually. Because yeah. this must have just drained so much of his force. It's it's amazing, man. So such great effect. I, I guess I guess we should probably just start from the beginning, you know, like when yeah. I was yeah, man, I think I was I must have been fifteen or so around the time that this album came out actually. And my friend Todd He's a good friend of mine. He's he's a bit older than me, and he owned this record store in my hometown. Yeah. And we used to make these mixed CDs for each other. And I don't know if it was right off the bat, Illinois, but I know that quite early on he showed me Sufjan. Yeah. And he had Sufjan had this EP called Seven Swans, and which I always I always hear myself having a lisp when I say that, like Seven Swans. Seven Swans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I remember like. You know, I was um, late middle school, or no, I had just started high school, and I had one of these three-disc CD changer stereos that was mounted on my wall, and the the ring around where the CD would play was a blue LED light, so I would turn all the lights off in my room, lay on my sofa, and of course have the blue light from the disc changer playing records, or CDs, and... One of them had a mixed CD, or maybe he just gave me Seven Swans. But I remember yeah. thinking about Seven Swans, and it had this, man, like, oh, what's the track I'm thinking of? Uh, Alone With You. There's there's a two or three tracks from Seven Swans that have this really unique, melancholic approach, but also an, an, an almost, like, unashamed uh, simplicity to yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's just, a, you know, Seven Swans, a lot of it's just him with one guitar. Really stripped down. Maybe there's, of course, some reverb, some backing vocals, whatever. The Elliott Smith the, formula, formula. That's right. It's just so pure. And it, it hit me. It just really struck a chord with me. Like, I've never heard, first off, like a, like a male voice sound like that. Because I have a higher singing voice. And especially when I was 15... I sing like a mouse caught in a trap, you know? And I thought, oh, there's a guy who's doing something great and he's in my range, you know? Because mm. at the time it was like Creed, <laughs> um, you know, it was like, uh, uh, what was that? Volvo driving soccer mom. There's just so many <laughs> tracks that it's, didn't it's match It's not me. quite whispering, but it's like the rock music equivalent of whispering. His voice is just so soft and understated and... yeah. It's so breathy, yeah. but in a good way, in a really good way. Definitely, and he still has yeah. a lot of control. He still yes. has a, quite a lot of control between chest and head. And Yes. That range, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there was Seven Swans, and then from there, from there, I think I was initially introduced to Illinois. And of course, that became just the beginning of a, of a lifelong, <laughs> you know, intimate relationship with his music and then it took maybe a year after i heard that to go back one album and hear michigan yeah but there's so many releases you know even even for illinois he considered doing a double album but he's quoted saying that he thinks that's too arrogant <laughs> yeah so i'll just release 75 minutes of music all about the state of illinois i don't think any any of these moves i mean that's probably just him being his in his head like i would yeah. i would have taken a double album if you're gonna make music like this like yeah think you earned it i would listen to it and then he did take all these songs that he didn't put on illinois he did release i think the next year and it's okay. called um like it's called i've heard the album it's really great it's um like i think it's called excerpts and outtakes from 
from Illinois. It's called The Avalanche. Hmm. And and there's a title track on there called The Avalanche, which should have been on the album because it's so beautiful. But he has three or four different versions of Chicago on there. Which one's your favorite? I was going to say, I would love, for, I would be interested to hear, like, um, to, to, you know, maybe later you can listen to all the versions and say, tell me what your favorite is. I, I'm really, there's, of course, the main one that we all know that was featured in Little Miss Sunshine, and it's like this iconic, big, the, like, you know, indie film road trip Chicago it's, version. It's the theme uh, for the new Netflix show, The Politician, too. Oh, really? So it, it lives on, yeah. It lives on. Yeah, that's a that's just like, you know, this perfect triumphant song. But he has a version on the Avalanche album. I think it's called Adult Contemporary Easy Listening Version. <laughs> I think it's actually the title. <laughs> and oh, that one's that one also kind of clicks with me. I, I remember listening to that one a lot in college, but yeah, the original like or may, maybe not even the original, but the one that stayed on the album, you know always resonated the most i guess because you hear it first you know and you're like wow yeah it's so heroic the freaking trumpet and his mass his mastery of dynamics is Mm -hmm. really really clear i don't know if that's like a through line with all of his releases but he is a master orchestrator conductor whether it's him playing all the parts or not just his ability to it's all part of the same like super immersive narrative, like the quieter yeah. part. To his just, I don't know if that that's from his uh, academic background, right? Like he he spent some time at a conservatory or something like that. Yeah, I think he's like a trained oboist. It's a lot of got to be a lot of formal training involved to to really pull that off. But that's not it. Yeah, that's you're like totally the, right. Like on one of just the ten reasons why this album works so well. Like that's just <laughs> another feather in his cap. <laughs> Another feather in his cap. I like that. Um, Casimir Pulaski Day yeah. is like a gut punch. Oh, I mean, what what song early oh. on? What song early on? Because when you were falling in love with this album, like what 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 parts really got to you? You know, um, I mean, not not to just bounce off of what you said, but Casimir Pulaski Day was really it was the first song I ever learned to cover. It was the wow. first one where I was like, okay, this is D C E mi- A minor G. It's four chords. The whole song. And I was like, oh my God, you can make a song sound like that with the same four chords repeating. I would have never guessed. And that just blew me away. Yeah, me either. And I just remember um, I was with my friend at this record store and our mutual friend, Corey Taylor Cox, showed up and he was uh, playing banjo and he was kind of plucking around with something. And I said, oh, you know, that sounds a little bit like Casimir Pulaski Day. And he said, well, we can play that together. You know, it's just this, 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 and this one. And I had only been playing guitar for maybe two years. And I was like, oh, oh, I can do that. You know, not as nuanced as how it sounds on the record, but I can do the basics. And then from then on, man, I played that song at every single acoustic concert for for like two years. You know, I played it for my parents. I was like, I learned a song, you know. It was just wow. that kind of this kind of like life-changing song. And the other one from that album that really was like, I, I, I need to identify myself to everyone as a Sufjan fan was um, The Predatory Wasp of the Palisades is Out to Get Us. That was an intense one, yeah. Oh my God. Talk about dynamics on that one. You know, you have this like soft, angelic, breathy, 
nostalgic flute right at the beginning or it's a recorder or something. And you have the soft guitar in the background. And then when he's singing, right in that first verse, it's so minimal, like sort of echoing what he tries to do later with Carrie and Lowell. And it's just so minimal and so like innocent, like a child's memory or something. And then when it explodes later, you have like timpani and giant cymbals and a choir. And it's sort of like punching into you like this this love that he lost and this memory of his brother and how innocent they were. And it's just like, I did not know that you could make a, like a story feel so intimate, you know, yeah. like so, like so true. It's so true. You know, this is, it's like a slightly more polished grounded, but still sort of bizarre version of, uh, in the aeroplane over the sea. I feel a little bit of oh, a connection yeah. there. Sure. Sure. It's just, it's such, it's, own intricately designed unique world using a kind of a lot of like old world influence and Mm -hmm. band instruments like traditional band instruments and (sighs) yeah that's that's a good way to put it it's like it's it is its own completely new world to sit inside of and you know i mean i remember First off, I heard that record so many times. I was a troubled teenager, an angsty teenager. And instead of going into a variety of other kinds of music that you usually go into, like Creed, yeah. (laughs) Instead of of going into that, I was was like the 16-year-old like fat Southern boy driving around Mississippi, like as loud as I could playing i think the third track on this what i mean i think i have come on feel the illinois that's it that's That's another great highlight yeah of course i can't believe i forgot it for a second yeah that third track was this it was it was my jam it was like my pop song this doom 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 but also he's singing about crying in a room by himself or something right there's there's a lot of references to crying to yourself in this album Oh, is I cried myself yes. to sleep last night. Oh man, and the ghost of Carl. <laughs> yeah, it just like arrests so your emotions. Amazing. It's so because again, I can't say it enough. A lot of other artists could take this kind of material and it could fall so flat or not feel sincere or earned, mm-hmm. or it could be pretentious. But he sidesteps all of that. Just like no question, like he earns Absolutely. all those kind of moments. Uh, absolutely it's it's so emotive <laughs> it's unlike uh, most other stuff i listen to <laughs> he's I, so he sounds like hurt but determined that's like his his whole vibe to that's got to be somewhere in the in the title of this one like he's he's hurt but <laughs> determined because it's absolutely the most accurate like the most accurate condensed way to describe what at least what that album sounds like um and a few of his albums i mean I don't know if you ever got into, because Carrie and Lowell was such a success like six years ago. I don't know if you ever checked it out or if you, what you thought I don't about know it. why I haven't. I had this weird aversion to digging further into his stuff, but I guess I, I got to go back now for sure. Oh man. I remember. So, you know, of course we had, we had Illinois and I, I keep saying Illinois, but it is spelled with an E on the, on the record cover, but oh, plenty of people are confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, it, isn't it a pun? Like, come on, feel the noise. Feel the... Right, it's it's a play on that uh, that old Slade song, "Come on, feel the Illinois." 
the original's called Come On, Feel the Noise, spelled crudely. Girls but, rock your boys. <laughs> come on, feel the noise. But this is, uh, it's just called Illinois, and then he's got that little wordplay on the album cover, and everybody got confused yeah. after that. But. Did you know that there was, uh, the original album cover had Superman on it, and they had to recall all of those? I was looking at that. Yeah, you got to be careful with that uh, Marvel DC intellectual <laughs> property. It's, it's like trying to put Mickey Mouse on the cover of your thing. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. How how fitting is this album cover for this project, though? You know what's funny is uh, for a long time, I really didn't like the cover. I, th- I, I, I used to not like it. I have to say that okay. my, my mind has changed on it. Uh, you know, I've I've known it for 15 years, so I had, a, a, you know, like an array of feelings about every part of this album. But um, the cover, I think when I first discovered what the cover looked like when I was in high school, I thought, oh, that's kind of kind of cheap looking. It's just like a cartoon of Al Capone and there was these build, like this, there's like a kite and there's like a, you know, some fields and the, the Chicago, the buildings. And I... I thought that doesn't really exemplify the complexity and the beauty of this album. But then later, as time went on, I went to college, I bought the vinyl for myself and had like a different connection to it then because I was like holding it in my hand. And then it changed. Then I thought, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tongue in cheek and a little bit funny. I I ended well, up liking I- it. It's. I feel like it's supposed to represent like a promotional postcard, like come to Illinois and yeah. enjoy all the fine offerings of this great state. Like, oh, you're so uh, right. You're so right. That's a that's a great point. I never thought of it like that. And that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Then it makes a lot of sense. Sure. There was a time there when I was really into like Illinois, Seven Swans, and Michigan, and I thought this is the Sufjan Stevens sound. And then. Mm. And then I want to say, I'm not totally right on this, maybe 2012, 2011, Age of Ads came out, or maybe a little earlier, 2010. Yeah. Whoa, man. That was, for me, initially, just to be totally transparent, it was initially a humongous disappointment. (sighs) I mean, probably a lot of fans had that reaction. It was was a callback to what, Enjoy Your Rabbit? Like a very different side of him. Right, Enjoy Your Rabbit. Had not recently been in his music. Yeah, that was a really weird. What, you don't one. like twenty-five minute songs, <laughs> because the tra- the the album has eleven tracks, and "Feudal Device" is the one that I like the most. Is the first track, and it has many, many tens of millions more streams than mm. the rest of the <laughs> rest of the album. Um, but that's the thing, you know, like it was the most accessible song of the record for me. But I I had friends. Um, in Louisiana, this is after I moved, who were really, really determined to try and convince me that this is like an incredible album. They were saying, no, no, you just have to imagine that the synthetic instrumentation is like a horn section. Just just imagine it like this. Use your and imagination. I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose of it a little bit. It's just, it's a different direction. It's like... Uh, yeah. Neil Young turned around and made something like trans in the eighties and no and nobody right. got what he was doing. Although I don't I think Age of Ads has held up a lot better than that. But uh Yeah, I would listen to Age of Ads over that. But it, yeah. <laughs> it's still like it's still at the time I think when you're such a when you're such a diehard like 
cut your neck kind of fan of someone and they change direction like I count I complete 180. Yeah. Of course, and understand I, I understand like younger Jordan was, you know, very bummed out by it, but I didn't stop being a Sufjan fan. In fact, it just pushed me further and further back <laughs> into albums like Illinois and I was just like, I don't care now. I I I would still see him live, you know. Right. And event eventually I did see him live, but that's I want to talk about that later. Okay. But with with Illinois, oh no, sorry, with Age of Ads it was just like so much of a change that I eventually moved on a bit. You know, of course I I loved him, but I still was like, okay, he's doing something else now. And then some time went on. And then the next album that I found from him was in um, some CD shop and it was the BQE. Mm. And the, yeah, the BQE, yeah, I didn't know that this was also connected to this sort of joke promotional thing of like different states. Apparently it stems from songs he was writing for the, Jer- the New Jersey, New York songs. It is a mixed medium artistic exploration of the Brooklyn Queens Expressway because you know that's what you do as as an indie pop artist. <laughs> uh, and he also he had written and directed an original film to accompany this work. Right. So this in the store was like a package. I think it was probably maybe twenty five bucks or something. So for me kind of a big, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, it's like buying a vinyl. I was like, I'm going to buy this. And it came with the DVD and they encouraged that you played the DVD and the CD at the same time so that what Ooh. you're watching had a soundtrack. Very cool idea. Wizard Very of Oz cool style. Yeah, exactly. With Pink Floyd, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that actually, like an artist intentionally doing that with uh, visual media and, and their music, that actually, that sounds kind of like an underused thing to do like i I bet it was pretty pretty cool pretty immersive right i was into it man i was into it but i obviously the footage is 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 very very simplistic it's only like if it's either eight or 16 millimeter footage of new york Mm. it's it's only that it's only like you know 16 by 9 maybe 16 millimeter film just showing people on the sidewalk skyscrapers it doesn't have a story it's not like a it's more of like Imagine you're in New York. It's just yeah. like, you know, ob- ob- obser- like observing New York, which was cool. At the time, I-, I liked it, and I heard the album with it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. And the album is is just as wild as Age of Odds, but it is an orchestra. Hmm. Okay. So so I dug it more because it felt more organic. Right. You, know? you, you like those, those real instruments. Yeah, what a what a curious thing to do, uh, and you know, so you grew up in Louisiana, correct? At first Mississippi, and then Louisiana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you grew up in the South, and you've been limi- living in Germany for a while. Yeah. In a German city, don't you think New York City aesthetically is a little overrated? Like presenting <laughs> it as a ooh, look at this, this the backdrop of this beautiful city. Nah, re- like that's that's not what. Attracts people to New York. I feel like I don't know. I'm I'm kind of off on a side tangent here, but I'm like, <laughs> do a, a good looking city. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the point. I think for the project when he did this, you know, he lives and works. I think in Brooklyn or Queens or something, right? So, yeah, that's what he knows. Know, it's it's his. Yeah, home. that's it. I think for if I were to do a similar thing about New Orleans, you know, that's not the craziest prospect. But I get that. 
It's maybe a little like outdone, you know, a little overly done. Yeah, you go to the French Quarter. It's yeah. a little slice of the country you don't see that often. I don't know. <laughs> right, 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 right. But what were you about to say? Yeah, yeah completely got off track here. But <laughs> I, I, doing something like the BQE, it just goes to this larger point that I feel like you, you never know what's going to come out of this guy next. Right. Be it like what the music's going to sound like, what the theme's going to be, what he's going to have to accompany it. His live shows are so extravagant. Oh, yeah. And some people would say extra, you know, like instead of backing down on the ambitiousness of his arrangements, like on the recordings, it's like he just goes full out and he has beautiful costumes and he's so intentional and ambitious and dedicated and just, I can't really pin him down. That's the thing. I can't pin him down. I can't pin him down. And after, like, after Age of Odds, I had I had some separation from him, and then BQE was like a little taste, but still not exactly what I was like itching for. And then I don't remember the next thing. I know he did a lot of collaboration projects. He sang. He did an album with another guy. I can't remember the name right now, but it was an album, a song about every planet in the solar system, which does fit his <laughs> motif. <laughs> does he include Pluto, though, or is that the bonus track? I think that might have been a bonus track in there, yeah. <laughs> and that, was Pluto's, that the, was... Pluto's the bonus track of the solar system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like the hidden... the hidden Like, if you buy it through my Patreon, you get the bonus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get Pluto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that was, I, I can't believe I don't remember the name of that right now, because it's not that old, but it was the newest thing I had seen from him in a while, and it was just collaboration. So it was still him, his voice, some cool Sufjan moments, but not like full-blown, like opening up his heart to me. It was more like, this is his, the thing he's been doing for fun. It sounds really pretty, but it's not like totally there yet. And I had almost given up because there had been so many years that passed without really anything current to like strike a chord in me and then carrie and lowell came out which i have never listened to but i've heard that a lot of people really feel passionately about that one man that that's that's about his parents right yeah like and it's really it's really specific it's really personal it's unbelievably like picturesque lyrics and they're so dark they're so dark. Well, he had an an insane upbringing, right? Which I mean, I guess isn't that unexpected for somebody who can yeah. <laughs> turn around and make these ambitious grand masterpieces. But like a really wild, like uh, off the grid. Yeah, a very unfortunate upbringing. Like with his as a child, and I mean, he's even had these themes about his parents as far back as Michigan. There's a perfectly like a fucking perfect song on Michigan called Romulus. And Romulus is the name of the town in, I think, in Ohio, where he was living, where his mother would occasionally visit him. And it's it's a song all about those visits. And it's so mm. dark, man. It's It's really like, you know, it's stories about being with his grandparents and his mom would call and they would pass around the phone. But when the phone would get to him, he would be ashamed and then sometimes she would visit, her car would break down, and they would pray that the car would never work again, and she would smoke cigarettes and dye her hair, and then they would touch her hair, and it was just, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. But you really feel that, you really feel that childhood pain 
in him. And Carrie and Lowell was just that on crack. <laughs> you know, every <sighs> single track is something like connecting to, you know, the death of his stepfather and how the stepfather could never really pronounce Sufjan. He called him Subaru. And, you oh, know, and this, this longing for his mother and how it all connects it. And it's uh, Eugene is a really amazing song on that album about Eugene, Oregon, where they would connect. It's just like everything has such a meaning. There's never like there's sometimes I guess these like f- poetic, philosophical sort of like human. The human condition is definitely dropped in. But there's so much. He's the best at telling a story like, hi, I'm Sufjan, and this is about when my mom would visit us in Romulus. And somehow me in Mississippi can sit there at 15 and go, oh, my God, this is about me. You know? Well, especially demonstrated on Illinois, he has this uncanny, uncanny ability to, like, channel the story, but as a purely, like, passive narrator observer like delivering you every piece of this that you need but his own presentation of it with his vocals or whatever does not color the top the subject matter if that makes sense like yeah. he's 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 like a newscaster of like emotional trauma <laughs> or something it's so there's no slant <laughs> on it at all the way some singers would do yeah yeah that's it that's oh man that's that's his magic you know there's he seems to have this trend now ever since Illinois of one major album per five years. Yeah. And lots of stuff going on in between that, but like one huge artistic statement, you know, every half a decade, which given how just grand and ambitious each of these projects are, even something like Age of Ads, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that it, he has to really store up his, his creative juices. Yeah, exactly. He's one of these artists, you know, we're obviously, like I said, we're both always trying to write songs ourselves. He's someone you listen to and you're like, well, I can't operate on this level. This is a whole new realm yeah, of- He's a different species. Being one with your art and and feeling it and suffering with it. Mm-hmm. This is, there's no way he has a, a light heart going about this. No way, man. You know? I would love to see his process. I would love to see- where he starts with songs and how he imagines how they might end, or if he just, if he doesn't imagine it, if he just um, starts with like a basic foundation, if he starts with a melody, or if right. he starts with a story, he's like, I want to write a story about, you know, this holiday in Illinois, you know, that's founded on this guy who did this thing. And then how does he interwe- like in- intertwine his yeah. personal life into it? And where does he start? How does he make something so... Where does he start? Yeah, where does he start? <laughs> It's really, it's really and amazing. how often does he set it up and start going about putting together song and like things don't come together, right? You know, and it's trial and error, and it's it's just so much work is involved. Yeah, like how many attempts? How many attempts did it take? You know, because if you think about how Illinois is already like what seventy five minutes, and there's an entire other album, this avalanche that was connected to it. That's so many songs and they all have depth they're all different they're all different and they all have like depth they're and not following dynamic. like one template yeah exactly exactly it's just it, he's just a different species i mean and the good thing is he's only 45 so we've got quite a bit more sufyan to come i hope 
I hope. Yeah, I, I would think. I mean, I, I bet his, his sound and style is going to dramatically change up again, knowing him. But I'm curious. I'm curious. Do you get like a little bit of a Peter Pan thing from him? Like some, I feel like some part of him will still always live in childhood, just kind of based on the way he sounds. That's a really interesting description, actually, because I absolutely, I first off, I absolutely do see this Peter Pan thing, and I know, I know, and I know what you mean when you say that. And I, I think I also kind of get this from his, all, all the way from his earlier work, all the way to now, where he has this sort of ability to connect something that's very hard to talk about for people like heavy realities death loss uh yeah sickness yes yeah redemption yeah no it's all there combines that with this these little sort of fantasies you know he talks about like um he he combines a song about someone being like stung on the shoulder by a wasp and he 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 just tried to take care of him but he ended up like mocking him because he was embarrassed as a kid and, like these little like honesties that people have and also combining that with you know looking at the like the the vision of these these greek gods and the in the stars and how they align and it it matches these these like he he paints a, like a greater picture of like the gods and the stars and the the world aligning on this greater universal map and you f- you can feel so small in the same song and it's like man what is he drinking <laughs> you know oh he's is he uh he strikes me as a straight edge guy 100% i would imagine yeah i i could never imagine i could never picture him even touching a a drop of alcohol or cigarette or anything like his eyes are are too open. He's he's too pure of heart. And <laughs> yeah, I bet he's. I don't know. Again, I have no idea really where he where he's at now or what his journey's been. You know, I don't know the guy personally, but religion has got to be a big part of his uh, yeah development and psyche. Yeah, and he didn't really age so much to be forty. Yeah, he's always boyish. You no, know, not that forty five is old at all. But 45, you know, you expect to see, like, when you're a kid and you hear 45, you kind of expect to picture, like, like an adult man. You know, if that has, like, little strikes of gray near the ears or a little stubble or something. But, I mean, I don't know what he might look like on a normal day waking up in bed. But whenever I've seen pictures of him or when I saw him live, it's just like this. And especially when he did his press circuit for Carrie and Lowell, which was only six years ago... He looked so damn young because he picked up this weird neon style where he had like a trucker's cap that was like neon yellow, neon green, you know, tilted to the side. He had like this puffy bomber jacket that was like neon, like black and neon with it. And it was a weird look for him. It was very like almost like, I don't know, trendy street Europe style kind of. Gaudy. Yeah, a little gaudy. A little gaudy. It didn't really match what Carrie and Lowell sounds like, but it still was like his own thing. And he looked really young. It looked like, I would say he looked like 30, you know? Wow. It's crazy. Like he doesn't even have like these like heavier eyes, you know, it's just, but maybe, you know, maybe he's a celebrity. Maybe Photoshop helps everybody. I don't know. Um, Sufjan is someone who makes incredible stuff that is definitely not in like a top 40 realm. He got, kind of lucky with this film that 
the songs are so beautiful and he got recognition finally. But still, Sufjan's someone who I imagine in most cities won't get recognized on the street. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's firmly like an indie star. Again, I feel kind of, it's a different case because uh, with Jeff Mangum, he became a recluse and just left the the music world and then the fandom accrued over time more and more. But right. it's, this, it's this thing of kind of like a mythic figure in music. And if you yeah. know, you know, and you're you're all in whenever you uh you hear that he has another project announced but it's not music for everybody and it never tries to be it's it's uh right it's for a certain kind of sensitive listener i feel like that's it man it's just it's so like i said it's so emotional it's emotive um you know teenage jordan driving around in their their car down south and trying to figure stuff out that i mean that's the place it <laughs> that's it hits you i feel like He's just that perfect little thing of like, man, if I could ever be five percent of what hmm. he did, yeah. I could be I could be happy. You know, like that's 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 my favorite kind of artist. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking yeah. about there. Yeah, you know, because here we are, here we are, two music nerds talking about this guy, mostly about one album for an hour, and it's like I want to be that guy who did something so special. <laughs> For a like insecure Mississippi boy that he would love to spend an hour talking about it, you know. Uh, I mean, I I think that kind of thing doesn't come without its price, though. Like, I mean, about Mm. living this, the turmoil in this music. I'm sure you know you can only read so much into it. It's not like I know the guy personally, like I say, but this is a level of of dedication and sheer mountain of effort that. you know, I, I'm thinking of this now. It's it's like I, I it doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah, that's true. You know, I think you the tortured artist thing is is definitely uh, a cliche, sometimes an unwelcome cliche. But I think you got to put yourself in a certain place to channel what he channels on an album like this. That's just ha- having been more of an outsider to this and, and coming into it this week. That was what was uh, mainly. Uh, sticking out at me and it, you know it took him five years to do a really proper uh follow-up after this and he was like considering leaving the music industry during that time and it'd be crazy trying to follow an album like this too oh my the god pressure there yeah no wonder he went so no wonder he went so different you know yeah but i i think dealing with something like that i i think he deals with the the, the pressures and the Whatever the self doubt, the the emotional turmoil. I think he has a certain way to navigate all that. That is, might certainly be enviable. And yeah, if you get this is quite a musical legacy right here. Even if he had never released another album after Illinois, right? Because it's, I mean, hello, twenty two tracks, seventy four minutes, fifty million instruments. Uh, <laughs> the amount of words in the in the. <laughs> And the track titles alone is like a <laughs> yeah. book of poetry. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, the I would feel so. I, I I get what you're getting to what you just said. Just I this would be such an achievement, and I would hope that he could feel as as proud of this as he deserves to feel. All great points, man. Yeah, you make a lot of great points there. Like it doesn't come without its price, and I hope that he can enjoy it and not just suffer wondering what the next thing has to be and you know whatever he probably goes through. Um, but I will say. I think it was 2016. 
He had just mm-hmm. he had just released Carrie and Lowell like the year before. And I had visited, I was visiting back in New Orleans from Germany because I had moved there just the year before and I was visiting again already. And I had tickets to see Sufjan Stevens. <gasps> and man, I got to tell you, you know, that was a tough choice. It wasn't a tough choice to say, yes, I'll go to Sufjan. That was very easy. Yeah. But it was a tough choice in the way that it was at this beautiful theater in New Orleans called the Sanger Theater. And just down the street at the other beautiful theater called the Civic Theater, none other than Tame Impala were playing. And all, and all of my friends said, who's Sufjan? We're going to go see Tame Impala, man. Come on, we're going to take mushrooms. <laughs> well, that's a given. If you're seeing Tame Impala, you're taking something. <laughs> from, from what I've gleaned, oh, man. I've never been to a Tame Impala I mean, show. Everybody, yeah, dude, everybody in town went to go see Tame Impala, and I felt like such a dummy. That's terrible timing on the tour manager's part, Oh, having him play the same night. Terrible, man. It was so, so hard for me. Just, you know, at first it was like, nobody wants to go with me. I'm visiting you guys, and no one wants to go with me. But then I got over it quickly because I just, I walked inside the singer and then you see these posters and you get that pre-concert energy as like a fan, you know, yeah. you, you smell like the freshly vacuumed carpets and you get like a beer from the concessions. And um, yeah, we sat down, I had a I had a first row balcony seat, so I had a great view. So Sufjan comes out and so, you know, my only reference to him as a live artist is these videos that we talked about, like this Austin City Limits with the butterfly wings and a huge band. Yeah. And he comes out, and including him, it's a five-person band. And on the wall behind him, he has three sort of octagonal-shaped LED screens. They're kind of these weird-shaped sort of long diamonds behind him. And the, the stage goes black, and then all of a sudden... The moment that you hear that his little tiny he has he's playing like a child's guitar. The moment that this little tiny guitar starts playing Death with Dignity, the first track on Carrie and Lowell, the screens in the back start playing this old eight millimeter footage of him as a kid. <sighs> and then the magic just starts, man. The magic Whoa. just starts. He starts off with Death with Dignity, which is one of my favorites on that record, and it's played so well. And I I of course I'm I'm so in touch with I feel kind of proud almost to be like really, really in touch with my emotions, and, you know, certain sometimes. And at that moment, it was perfect. I just felt so in touch. I cried. I was so into it. And I have to say, I was so blown away that five people could sound like 20. Mm. They all, almost every song rotated instruments and would get new instruments out from from side hands so like you would see at a, like one of the five would play at some point they would have have played like maybe 10 or 12 instruments and the same for the next person they would play like different brass and, and woodwind instruments they would play different guitars different basses they would play percussion they could all sing so imagine finding people who can do all of those things and they have like a natural rhythm and understanding for music. Wow. Like, like the cool thing about the show was that he started off, he played most of Carrie and Lowell. So, you know, he did like the, the new album tour. And then right in the middle, he started doing 
sort of this age of odds thing where you didn't really know what was going on. Fog filled the entire theater. So all the way up to the third, like to the second balcony or whatever. And these crazy like strobe flashing lights in this low bass synthesizer and like. Yeah, yeah. It went so crazy. And we didn't know if the show was over. And I thought that's, yeah, it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of, kind of quick if the show's over here, if he's going to end it there. But he just went into this really wild, sort of like mid-career psychedelic synthesizer experiment. Maybe he even ended up playing some instrumentals from Age of Odds. I didn't even recognize them. Mm-hmm. And then when everything cooled down and everyone applauded, he sat down at, at this like, you know, at the Steinway piano with every with the rest of a band on the other side of the stage with their instruments. And he ended up playing what I would say, like all the greatest hits. A lot of Illinois, like Casimir Pulaski Day, Concerning the UFO, Palisades, um, like quite a handful more, some Michigan stuff, some Seven Swan stuff, like uh, Alone With You. And I mean, he must have played like another like 12 or 13 songs in this third act and just kept, and you know what, what I really liked about him was this humility because he started playing Concerning the UFO and he got through the first verse and then he just paused and he looked at the audience and he kind of laughed at himself and he like he's like, you know what, guys? We've been on this whole tour and I was focusing so much on the other songs, I forgot the second verse. Hmm. And just kind of like looked out there and someone someone screamed out like the first word of the verse. He's like, oh, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then he started picking it up. And that was that person's up. like best moment of their life. <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, God damn it, I wish that was me. <laughs> uh, it was a beautiful concert. You know, it was just so... I was so in touch with it and he was so um engaging and professional and humble. He told these stories. He would he would talk like in these uh, 5 to 8 minute intervals like these long stories oh, about wow. about the road and about his past and about the songs. And I just never really expected I I wasn't sure what to expect. And oh, it so was just it sounds like he's not nearly as weird or off-putting as I might have pegged him to be. He's, he wasn't wow. that weird. Yeah. He wasn't that weird. Like I saw, I saw Andrew Bird live once or twice, and he strikes me as a weird person. He's like this weird genius, you know. Nothing wrong with that either. Just Nothing wrong with that, but own. just a different type. And Sufjan's yeah. just kind of—he seemed like kind of easy to talk to. But um, oh. after the show ended, then he just he went to the back, and I thought, man, I'm so glad I chose this over Tame Impala. You made the right choice. Come yeah. on, yeah, yeah, man. I would never, I would, I would never go back and change my mind. Right on. Well, on that note, we're talking about one of the great artists, your favorite artists, and Illinois favorite album of his overall. Or are you carrying Lowell? No, I gotta say, still my favorite album of his of all time is "Come On, Feel the Illinois." All right. So good. Glad, glad to hear it. And if you were to put this album. Into three words to cap it off, what would you say? Ooh, oh, I may have to think for a second. Sometimes I forget podcasts aren't live, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll, uh, I'll go first then, because I'm always thinking about these things ahead of time. Um, this album felt devastating. This is like an album you would listen to after you heard a piece of terrible news or something. Like, it cuts to the core. So I'm going devastating. Mm. It's really tender. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah, it's dizzying. <laughs> it's 
so much going on and it fits into place in such a uh, an intense way i mean the the steve reich uh neoclassical influence is is very much appreciated there oh too. yeah, but yeah that's reich. that's where i'm i'm, I'm ending with uh disney Dizzying, not Disneying. I thought you were like, yeah, it's like Disney. <laughs> Very much not Disney. <laughs> um, I would say this album, in particular, um, it's very intimate. It's very. I don't want to waste my three words. Um, <laughs> it's. What's a good word for when something You're overthinking like, it. Just spit it out. Whatever you got in there. Okay, okay, okay. Let it fly. It's it's intimate, it's unpredictable, and it's um grandiose. Yes. There it I is. I like it. It's, it's <laughs> definitely all those things. Um you got a little uh you got a new album coming out? Am I correct on that? Yeah, actually, next next month, uh, June eighteenth, I have the the brand new album. Yeah, Simple Swimmer should be should be coming out. Very very cool. Um, yeah, this is a pleasure, Jordan. Thanks again for coming on today. Oh man, Thomas, the pleasure is mine. I will always come back. I love talking about music with you. It's always a blast. But this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks again for having me, and uh, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Very personable guy, that Jordan. Always a pleasure to talk to. And uh, if if you're on Instagram or TikTok a lot uh, and you kind of like some some silly videos, he does these really good videos kind of describing his experience living in Germany. He, do, he has this whole series going on. Pretty entertaining. Uh, so that's it for today's episode. I really hope you uh, enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to be back next week. <laughs> It's kind of unusual pick, I guess, in contrast to this week. Uh, we're we're going to be talking Duke by Genesis. Big, big album. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.